Life of Die, the podcast which discusses all things relating to role-playing games and war games. I'm your regular host, Gordon, and in this latest episode, we turn our attention to the Strontium Dog Miniatures game, and I'm joined by writer and Strontium Dog fanatic, Alan Stenhouse. Welcome to Life of Die, Alan. Hey, Gordon. Happy to be here. Glad to have you. I always start podcasts with a bit of an origin story, telling you a little bit about your background with the with the game, and in this, this case, obviously, we're going to talk a little bit about the strip as well because that's really where most of us started out with strong team dog and i know you're no different so i suppose the first question would be what was your first 2000 ad prog what issue was that right I, f- I think my first prog that i bought was 335 and the story in it was judge red was the graveyard shift and strong team dog was a moses instant but my first experience with 2000 ad was a wee bit earlier and uh, i was up like a friends and we were just basically playing into Star Wars figures or something and I turned round and I seen under his bed that he had comics which I'd never seen before and it was 2000 AD and the story was a shickle gruber grab and um, I looked at it and I was hooked it was Carlos Esquera's art that just grabbed me and um, for then I was hooked and it was a wee bit later uh, it was another mate that I met who I'm still friends with this day Kev and uh, Kev had a lot of the comics as well and it just so happened they were the same ones. So I ended up swapping him some stuff and I was able to get these comics for him. So that basically introduced me into the world of um, Strontium Dog. But I started collecting it from Prog 335 onwards. And I've still got every one of them. So of course it was a, the Moses Instant and then that went on to The Killing. And The Killing is probably one of the most iconic stories just for its um, action. Just this action packed all the way through. And it's one of my favourite Strontium Dog stories because of that, I would say. Yeah. I so that what that was your favourite the killing then because we're we're going to talk a bit more about the killing as well. Obviously. It's there's so many to mention, so many to mention. But Gordon, it's Outlaw is another cracker. That's my favourite Outlaw. Um, that was the kind of first one. I, I think I read the Moses incident in the best of two thousand AD. I think that was my first experience, and it was a you know it's a pretty it's a pretty unusual one actually for Strutton Dogs. It's quite a dark yeah storyline. The the Moses incident one, which I liked, but I didn't love it. But I remember it was actually the quality comics reprints, quality comics and Bertie Comics. They put this horrible colour. Ah, I remember them. I know for a fact a lot of the artists absolutely hated because I remember talking to Brian Talbot actually. But in fact, it was somebody in front of me. That's what I've said. I signed him with Brian Talbot, and somebody was had the, the quality comics, and he said, "What did they put this on with a roller?" <laughs> <laughs> the the artist is really poor. It's really poor. Yeah, it was awful, but. It didn't stop me enjoying it actually, and it was a, the outlaw story was the first one that I kind of got into, and uh, I just thought it was amazing. It was a bit like some of the the dread epics, which I was already familiar with at that stage through the Titan books. It was had that I think it was about twenty seven parts or something outlaw, so it had this real epic sweep to it, and it had a huge cast of characters who were all. And I think obviously Midden Face appearing in that as as a Scott, I really I really took to to that. So it's always been my favourite outlaw, but that's that's the reasons for it. I mean, you're talking about that. That story really came out. It started off great, but you didn't know how big that story was going to be. I can remember reading that and going, where is this going? And uh, spoiler alert, but when um, certain characters die off in it quite early, that's been iconic in the storyline. You were like, this is going to change the world of Strontium Dog forever. And then when Evans the Fist, Torso from Newcastle, and of course, Midface McNulty come into it, because they were so iconic in the portrait of a mutant. When they come back into it, that storyline just it became epic for me. Really epic. Mm. So that one is one of my best. I mean, you think of that run, the run of that, that strip, it was uh, the Moses Instant, then the Killing, and then Outlaw. 
that was the, the season, the strontium dog, and then it had a big gap for a while. But they were just, every one of these stories was brilliant. And then, of course, the Max Bubba Ragnarok storyline with um, Johnny going back and meeting Wolf, and that goes into rage. That is just epic. That is, they are so difficult to pick a favourite strip, <laughs> but all the kind of golden age strong stories, they're so iconic to me and I can, they're so vivid to me. Even though the first time that I read them, I was about 15, 16, you know, mm-hmm. maybe a wee bit older. But um, it's brilliant and it just shows the skill that John Wagner, Alan Grant and Carlos Esquera had, had to create these storylines that just stand the test of time. They're, they're timeless as well, you know, um, they're not dated in any way. You can pick them up and, and read them again and they're, I mean, there's a lot of comedy in them, a lot of hardcore violence. You're like, how did they get away with this in a comic? But you know? <laughs> I think it's something like um, in Rage in particular, how he takes down some of the, the bad guys. You're cheering them on to when you're reading it and you're like a 16 year old boy, you're cheering them on. But you think about how he does it. It's like, my goodness, somebody kicks one of the guys into over, over a cliff. One of the guys over a cliff into a. A squiddly dip, I think it is. It's called. It's like a giant <laughs> octopus. He kicks a guy in the foot, and the guy's actually in a wheelchair as well. You know, it's like. But then you remember exactly what he did to deserve it. But you don't. You don't care. Yeah, it was fairly. It was fairly shocking as well because the character of Johnny Alpha, while he was, he was always dangerous. Um, you know, was the good guy. I mean, he, he always did the right thing, and and so it was quite a shocking storyline for everything that went before. He always had a kind of bit of a heart of gold, and you know, after this had happened, that it really flipped his character but yeah obviously he kind of came back a bit more after that but that storyline he was certainly <laughs> not the same character so yeah I mean I think I think that actually gave it some more weight as well the fact that his character was going through a journey as well you know that he totally changed aye but yeah not thankfully not permanently but because I really thought, how is he coming back for this? But it was brilliant because they kept it going, you know, for quite a while. And you thought he's lost his, his moral compass here. He's whatever humanity he had. He's obviously went through a lot in his life, but he's still been able to keep that core. He is a good guy at heart. Mm. But with the, the shocking things that happened in the, the Ragnarok storyline, it just totally bre- uh, breaks him, you know. But it's excellent, brilliant writing. And I believe as well you've also had some contact with John Wagner over the years about Strontium Dog yourself. Yeah, um, basically it was, uh, I seen he'd put a post up on Facebook. For life me, I can't remember exactly what it was, but I, I replied, I, I put a comment in and he replied to me. And uh, then I replied to his reply and I was saying, by the way, he was writing the storyline, The Life and Death of Johnny Alpha at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, I just so happened to say, any chance to, I seen Evans the Fist again because uh, I've not seen him in a story since the Outlaw story. And he replied, he goes, The problem is when you get to my age, you forget the characters that are alive and dead. So <laughs> I promptly reminded him of the story of dogs that were still alive and who basically had fallen by the wayside. And he, he put Evans the Fist back in that story and Vince Campy in that story and the, the later parts of that story purely because I reminded him that they were alive. And he, um, it was fantastic because there's also a couple of characters in that that are in panels who are actually roleplay characters I created and I asked him if he could include them and he did. <laughs> but uh, there's a character called Skull who's one of the roleplay characters one of my mates Dave played and he was a sneaky, slimy wee guy in the game. But it's great because Carlos Square has done a, a... I sent John a picture of the miniature that I did. He was a converted miniature from a Warhammer 40k guy with a skull skeleton head. And it was great to see Carlos Esquera's version of him because he'd drawn him for this miniature. And uh, he's only in it at the start. And there's another character called Hardnose 
who you don't he hadn't been named, but he's a guy with an elephant's trunk, bald guy with an elephant's trunk, and uh, you see him in the first part as well. So that was fantastic. Yeah, that's amazing that Carlos Esquera converted a, a drawing of one of your managers. That's amazing. <laughs> what was actually amazing, even better, was uh, see when I got the Life or Death of Johnny Alpha in the compendium version. Mm-hmm. Coincidentally, there was a copy of the first script that was done, and John Wagner actually makes comments, insert these min- these mutants in the background from the email that I sent you, and that was, he's referring to my mutants that <laughs> I'd sent him descriptions of. He, to be honest with you, a couple of the things Carlos hadn't been able to do it because the panels were too small, so the guys in the background, they weren't, he wasn't able to put in in a recognisable form, but the skull character who actually gets a talk and he, Johnny asks him, tells him to do something and he says, right, you know, he mentions, he, he gets a bubble and the hard-nosed character is um, very like Carlos has done, my mate Kev had done a, a version of his character drawn like Carlos Esquera and I sent that to John and Carlos drew, <laughs> he done his um, interpretation of Kev's drawing <laughs> because it's in the same pose. It's a, it was brilliant to see it <laughs> and the fact is that the character only came about because, um, Kev tried to draw it in the Carlos Esquera style, and he'd done a great, done a great job of that. But it was great to see Carlos actually drawing it himself. You know, <laughs> Carlos reinterpreting a drawing in his style. <laughs> I reinterpreting it. Um, it was fantastic. So having that rapport with John, and because I'm a big Strontium Dog geek and I know a lot, he obviously realised quite quick that not even Strontium Dog Judge Dredd. I discussed some things in Judge Dredd, and yeah, John put uh, the apocalypse. War team, he brought them back into Judge Dredd purely because I asked him to do a story in it, and he what a fantastic story he did for them. But of course, when I suggested this, I thought it was going to be a kind of last hurrah, you know, Dredd teaming up with them again. But how John did it, making them all basically has been trying to save one of them from the loony bin, was absolutely fantastic. And it's great to know that he had a wee bit of influence, so much so that he put in a cadet stenhouse for me. <laughs> oh, <that's amazing. laughs> so I absolutely loved that. I bet you did. No, I would. I would uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit jealous. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't tell me he was going to do it. God, that's what was great about it. It was an unrelated story. The storyline was the me- Mechanismo, the most recent Mechanismo storyline. And there's a bit where he's talking to, you know, Dredd keeps thinking these guys are going to turn, these robots are going to turn again. And there's a bit where he's talking to one of the Mechanismo guys and, and he turns around and he goes, this is Stenhouse, my rookie. <laughs> And Dread goes, they're giving you rookies now, your robots. What, what's this coming to you? What's happening here? <laughs> and uh, my wee guy speaks in it, honour to meet you, sir, he says. But I didn't even know that was happening, but John did that, so that was absolutely fantastic. So much so when I met him, I met him at a, a forum, and I was talking to him, and it was like a giddy schoolboy talking to him. But he gave me a he gave me a, a poster, a colour of and got it on my wall. It was a Dread and Strontium Dog a print. So I've got that on my wall. I'm looking at it now. Is that the iconic one from the, the end of the, uh, oh God, what's it? the Judgment Day storyline, isn't it, when the team offers it? The poster, it's uh, Johnny Alpha, Middenface McNulty, Will Sternhammer, and Durham Red, and the Gronk, uh, basically at the bottom of the panel. And then you've got Dread and uh, the Dark Judges on his left, and the War Marshal Kazan on his right. But it's a fantastic art print. So I got that for him, and uh, he's... A couple other things for Rock of the Reds when I was back in his Kickstarter for that. He had a Brian Bolland um, print that he was basically going to get away to anybody who asked. But I just basically said that, oh, I would love it. And 
He said, no, you've helped me out with my stuff throughout the years. I'm giving it to you. Everybody else was asking for it, <laughs> but he gave it to me, so I've got that as well. So that, that was fantastic. Just a wee nod to say he was, he was thankful. To me, it was absolutely no hassle to me too, because I just knew this stuff because I loved it so much, you know? Yeah. So um, absolutely fantastic having that rapport with him, I must admit. <laughs> no, that's, that is brilliant. Uh, so, yeah, quite jealous. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I suppose moving on from the actual strip to the game, obviously I'm, I'm guessing it was the fact that you already had that love with the source material that it kind of piqued your interest when the, the game was announced. So Oh, fantastic, God. See, it's a double-edged sword, to be honest with you. I mean, when it came out, I'd just invested in another, the Aliens game, the AVP game, mm. and I spent a lot of money. And then when I seen this was coming out, I went, oh, no, um, I can't afford to um, hang that. I'm not buying it. I thought to myself, I'm not buying it. And then when I seen all the Wave 1 characters that was coming out, the Weird Brothers and others, uh, obviously the Styx models, and I was like, oh, that, that I've got to buy this. <laughs> and then when I actually saw the game itself and the fact you get the 3D scenery, I thought, oh, that's excellent. And I looked into the game a wee bit, the fact... It was quite like other games I'd played where the, the models had two action points. Um, they could perform one AP actions, two AP actions. The card system. I thought, this is right up my street and it seems to be quite a, a simplistic... No, I, I don't want to say simplistic makes taking it in the way for the game, but it's, it seems a very easy game to pick up. And in my games that I've been playing, it's I, I do feel that it is good to pick up. It's easy to pick up, straightforward to pick up. And the card mechanic's phenomenal. It really is great. Yeah, I mean, I, I know what you mean by this when you're saying the simplicity of it. I, I don't take that to mean that it's a, as an insult in any way. It, it just means that it's a clean system. That I think, for me, one of the, the kind of key elements of it is, is the dice. That you When you roll the dice, you can see immediately what the result is, whether you've hit. I love that. Um, I think that's a great thing, rather than the old, you know, I'm, I'm used to it with, with other systems, you, you know, rolling the traditional six-sided dice, and you know, all right, three plus is this, but you don't even need to think about it. You just see, right, there's a result. It's a hit or it's, it's a miss, and, and that's the end of the story. So, I mean, I thought that was a great thing about the system, and I also thought the fact that it was, uh, like you say, I, I think the cards... You know, I've mentioned this in the previous some of the previous ones interviews with it, uh, Gavin Andy about the card system being particularly great because it had two things about it. One one was the actual rules that the cards actually have, which are thematic to the strip, and secondly, those iconic Esquera pieces of art which sum up what the things do. You know, so it always always means you get that link with the source material, which I, I just thought it was amazing. But yeah, you like the cards in particular, then. It, the cards, for, uh, the thing is, as you're saying there, I see like things like Time Bomb and how devastating the Time Bomb is. Mm -hmm. If you are lucky enough to have one of them and a character's in range, I mean, there's characters that haven't even got evade. They've not even got a chance to get away from it. They do, they do get one dice. In case you missed that, they do get one dice. They get one evade. Did it always get one evade? I thought... Always get one evade. You always, yeah, I think you add plus one from memory to your evade when you're so everyone gets a chance. I've just grabbed my, my rule book here and on page 20. <laughs> it says, yeah, target attack by blast type weapon plus one. Note this means even models with no of age start get a small chance to dodge blast. You know, it's only a one in six chance. Of uh, it's still something. It? Anyway, but yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think I've just derailed the entire conversation. Here. Like, <laughs> where were we? We thought... Well, we've got to get these things all ironed out before the great tournament, you know, so 
Got to make sure that we know exactly everything that we're doing. Yeah. Got to be fair to every one of the 100 participants, you know? Exactly. So, yeah, the, you were, we were talking about the cards and about, yeah, you were talking about the time bomb in particular on the Armoury cards about, about how you how you liked them. And I don't think we'd mentioned the chicane in the cards either. Oh, but they are, they're fantastic too because they're so iconic as well. And the things that happen, there's the, the fauna one and it, it shows you the um, indigenous fauna, I think it is. Mm. And it shows you the demise of the uh, Impetigo Jones on the artwork. I mean, it's just fantastic. These are things that can happen and do happen in the strip. And the fact they've been able to bring them in and it's going to actually affect gameplay. And what's great is, you know, you, you, you can think that you're you're on top. You're basically killing everybody. Oh, my guy's so good and he's a star chip guy and he's mauling all the other players because they're all just normal, lowly, normal chips. Mm-hmm. And then cards can totally mess you up. In one of the games I was playing, you get caught. Wolf was running about. He's, he was just basically charging. He'd used the, the charge card. I think it killed Skull. And then basically, um, he killed he killed another character. I think it was Brute, but one of Bubba's other guys. And then next minute, he gets caught in a time trap, thrown by Bubba himself. So the overall end of the game, Bubba wins, and he hardly did it in the whole game. <laughs> Whereas Wolf ran about killing just about everybody, and then gets caught in a time trap. And it's just phenomenal because my mate Ian, who was playing that character, he was like laughing in glee one minute and then the next minute he just went we're up there <laughs> and we were all gutting ourselves we were all laughing we were like ah, well, that's what you get for being so cocky you know I think there was a few expletives involved with that <laughs> <laughs> we, we had a similar thing we played a four player game of Strontium Dog myself and my friends and um, one of the things that happened that was one of the players his whole team get like annihilated pretty quickly and he was out of the game he was first out of it and everybody else was still battling away for quite a while and then eventually we were down to the end of it and then we said oh that's the game over and then he went no it's not and he threw down playing dead and one of his characters got up and killed the other one so that like, is so did, good he was totally out of it so good so the the chicanery cards are, are amazing and they keep twisting things all the way through so you can never feel secure in what you're... <laughs> Which is a great thing because it means it's totally unpredictable and I think that's a you know a great thing that you can have a game delivering twists when, you know, as I've, I've kind of said before, that some games, once you know once the power kind of is going one way, you kind of usually know where it's going to, how it's going to play out. It's unusual that you would be able to pull it back, you know, in certain in certain war games. So yeah, I think that's an amazing thing about the system. It's brilliant, awesome. So you're about to embark. Since we talked about the, mentioned the killing earlier on, you're in. Oh, well, say you're about to embark. But it's already it's already underway. Uh, they work on it. So do you want to talk a bit about the killing, about your campaign? Well, the killings came about. It's been a storyline that's obsessed me right back through the days of Strontium Dog and of when I first read it. And uh, it's been so many incarnations throughout the years for me. I one time done a Unreal Tournament computer game version of it in which I had my, my friends playing certain characters throughout that uh, through deathmatch mode. Done a photo story version of it and things like that. But when the game came out, I realised right away, as soon as I've got all the miniatures painted, I'm going to do a killing tournament, and it was going to be one of the, my main focuses for it. It took me a while to get it all ready, but, um, because I wanted to have 100 participants, models for each guy, and I wanted to have a varied mix, so I tried to do, I've got multiple Warlord models, I think it's about 60-odd Warlord models, I've got every Warlord Strontium Dog model that's on at the south, Plus, I've got uh, four Builder Mutie boxes and also some a couple of other packs that I was able to pick up 
got a Durham Red conversion, uh, Midface, a Blubberlips conversion. Basically, what, you're, what I've done is I've just uh, head swapped characters, painted them different, make them look like different different um, people. And then uh, I used some Star Wars miniatures from a Heroclix game because they're the same scale. And I basically took some of the, the lesser known aliens for that. And then some Warlord characters for the Gates of Antares. I use them as kind of granulins, the, the rock men, because they look like the Boromites, the characters are called. So um, I use them because they fit in really, really good. And uh, they're a wee bit smaller than the granulins, you know, from the, the, the storyline, the Durham Ray storyline. Stone killers, yeah. Uh, but they, they can fit as a, a kind of subspecies, you know. And because it's a alternative dimension, it's a retelling of the killing, it's, but it's an alternative dimension. So... This is this explains why you've got characters like Durham Red and Middenface and all that in it. And you've got some characters that are the same that, that featured, um, but you've got other characters that you're like, they weren't in the killing, but it's a retelling of it. And hence why Majority Alpha might be a kind of darker, kind of less, well, we're talking about him, he's moral compass, he's got even less of a moral compass than this. So um, there will only be one victor in this. It's not going to be like uh, when you get to the end the killing and he uses a time poem for him and Wolf to get out. No, they have made the decision here that it's a battle to the death because the prize is just too much. I think it's one billion galactic credits have made the prize rather than the one billion zeddies. So it's it's considerably more and it's going to be... I'll, I, the main reason I'm doing it is because I want, it, I want to see who'd be the best. Me the best man, man. I want to see who would be the victor. But how I'm doing it again is, again, it's slightly different for the game. Every character, as well as their weapons that they've got, every character gets an equipment card and gets a chicanery card at the start of their bout. If they use their equipment, that's it, used and gone. But if they emerge victorious for their bout and they kill other guys, they can raid them and get their equipment if they have not used that. So that will proceed with them into the next bout. Their chicanery card always stays with them. And if they play that, it immediately gets refreshed at the start of the next bout because that's like a kind of character quirk that they've got. It's a skill that they've got. So because of that, they they can't steal dead characters' chicanery. Once that character's dead, that chicanery is discarded, and it will eventually get reshuffled as the characters progress. You know, obviously there's only so many chicanery and so many equipment. But basically, if you're in the first bout, basically you've got a full deck of cards to choose from. And as when I've been planning the first bout, it's been hilarious which come up the three characters that I've got I've got a star character and two um, single chip characters and one of them has got a small nook <laughs> one of the smaller characters and I'm like he's a plebe guy you're thinking he's absolute rubbish but his equipment that he's got is a small nook one of the other guys has got a med pack and then one of the other guy the star player has got a got anti-grav shoot but unfortunately it won't really save him for this because they're fighting in a lava field so if anybody falls into the rents, it's instant elimination. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I've done wee tweaks to the rules for that. It's basically the same as falling. If you're hit in an edge, within an uh, inch of an edge, you've got to make a pull test. And if you don't roll any armour or special, you basically fall in, but you're instantly uh, eliminated. And you can jump jump over the rents by performing a two, two AP action leap, um, climb uh, action. But again, you have to roll, make a cool test and roll either an armour or a special to be successful. So it basically means that anyone can go in this because the map is highly treacherous. But as the games progress, you've got other maps that haven't got hazards. 
there's a, a thing called a mechanic with drones in it, and these drones can either be camera drones in which they, they don't do anything, they can be combat drones and they can attack the nearest model, uh, or they can have med kits, and if you get close to them and spend a 1 AP interact, you basically get a med pack for store that you can keep and use whenever. Uh, so there's loads of wee different elements into that, fauna and flora in certain maps, uh, the Neverglades features, it's like a portion of the killing ground that's been uh, inspired by the Neverglades, and it's like a wee mini Neverglades swamp, uh, which uh, a cluster's going to fight in, and there's loads of fauna going to be in there. So you're going to have man-eating plants and creatures that can basically attack anybody. And I'm, I'm, what I'm wanting in that storyline, I want that so the participants to be half concentrating and trying to kill the, their opponents, but half concentrating and trying to survive going up against these plants. So the characters is going to be randomly placed on the map and the, the models, the, the fauna and flora is going to be randomly placed on the map. So it might just be your Donald Duck where you're landing, if you're landing in next to a, a giant man-eating plant. So <laughs> somebody might go the way of Silent Weird and uh, the Gronk Affair when he gets hit with the, out of the ejector seat of the crashed space shuttle, <laughs> uh, which was another iconic moment. So, again, it'll be fun actually seeing Silent Weird in it because he might not have his brothers because everybody appears at a random location. So I don't I don't hold up much hope for Silent Weird. <laughs> I don't think he's going to last very long. Do not only get killed one or something like that? So it's ah, like he's any, total garbage. Yeah, he's... Yeah, but I, I suppose um, just getting back to what you were saying there about the alternate reality. I, I mean, yeah. just to be clear, this means that really anyone can die, and there's no plot armor yeah. for, for Johnny and Wolf. No, and, and no. Middenface and the likes. Middenface should have plot armor. Just can I just say I... that? Like, <laughs> no, it's going to be fair. And the thing is, uh, as much as I love Middenface myself, obviously soft spot for him because I'm a Scotsman myself. But the character is just so funny. But he's tough, he's hard as nails as well. But I'm determined to make this completely... Everybody thinks Johnny's going to win, because he has, he's the best in the notoriety. Everybody's been pointed out with notoriety. The majority of the guys that come close is about 16 notoriety, but he's still about 23, 24, something like that. If you're playing the version of him, it's in the book with boys' gear. So nobody can really come close. But like I say, because he's no getting... All the gear that he's normally got, you'll get one extra. If you've got the equipped or well-equipped skill, you get one extra gear card. So anybody that's got that, gets in this tournament, it's going to be two gear cards they'll have. And one chicanery. Equally, the schemer, the schemer will have two chicanery and one gear card. So it's actually better if you're a schemer in this because it means you've got two character traits that can help you. But it's all random as well. It's like, it's whatever that card is that comes out. And some of them, I've tried to remove all the ones which I don't feel is relevant, like payday ones and things like that. But there's other ones. There's a great one. It's gear and it's the infrared torch or tracer round, tracer beam, which allows you to become the pr protagonist. And that's quite important in uh, these rules that I've uh, added on, these solo rules. Because how it works is, if you're playing it, the protagonist, normally if you've got a, a starship player character in the mix, it's normally going to be a starship player that will be the protagonist. And how that means, they're the, the character that you play completely tactically. You basically, as if you're up against an opponent. The other opponents, they're like NPCs, and there's a, basically you roll a D6 for how they'll behave. And there's anything from um, playing the percentages, which is if you roll a one, that dice, that means they're like Steel Creek. They just sit back and let everybody else fight, and you've got to come to them. So they're quite, they'll are quite they be quite hard to winkle out. And then you've also got 
using cover, which is basically if you roll a four or a five, they basically advance, but they're still using cover. But my favourite is number six, if you roll that in the D6, it's called going postal. And that basically means you just charge. You don't care if you're in cover or if there's any cover around you. You just charge towards the closest opponent. And if you can take the damage when you get hit, great. But, you know, you might be lucky and take the damage and you might get gunned down. But it means if you're actually, as luck would have it, one of the characters has rolled that for the first bout. And he's a close combat specialist. <laughs> so it's basically, he wants to get in close. Yeah. And it's fantastic because it's sheer luck he's got a med pack as well. So it means that if he does get hammered, he can get rid of that med pack and get his wounds back. So I'm seeing him as a bit of a threat, to be honest with you. And he's not a star character, this guy. He's, but he's good. He's a, he's a close combat specialist. He's absolute rubbish. He's only got one dice in uh, shooting. So he's got something like four in close combat. So um, he's pretty good. But again, um, and the fact he's got that med pack and he can, he can cash that in, and basically um, get his wins back, I think he is going to be a threat. It's providing he can jump over the lava, right enough. <laughs> the lava, right? Because he might try his first uh, move and fall right in. So we'll need to wait and see how that goes. I'm, I'm sure there'll be some right comedy moments in this, as well as some action-packed moments. So um, I'm really looking forward to it, I must admit, playing it out. <laughs> and so I suppose for anybody that's listening that hasn't already seen anything about this on social media, where can they follow the killing? And where, where can they find your solo rules as well? Because they're also available. Yep, they're on the, the Bistler blog. You'll see them on your YouTube channel as well. So oh, everything really? will be going up there. <laughs> yes, oh, really? remarkably. <laughs> I was meaning more from your side of things. but uh, uh, well, you'll, you'll, things like that, but... <laughs> you'll basically be seeing it on the Facebook page. It's the 2000 AD um, Wargamers Facebook page. I put it up there and I'm trying to get as many of the Strontium Dog Doghouse. There's another one I'm going to be putting up in. And basically I'll be doing a, a kind of picture version of the battle reports. And then obviously you'll be doing the, the video version as well with the excellent music and all that on it. The Sawtooth Synth. Um, fantastic. Um, so it's good to have the different the, the different versions, you know, and you can click through it as if you were reading a comic because I'm going to be putting bubbles on it and things and maybe there would be special effect. We'll see how it goes. I mean, already for the, the map, the establishing shot of the map, I took my wee humble wee um, lava field that I had. It was 3D polystyrene scenery and I've extended it out using Photoshop so that it goes to right the edge so it looks as if that's a lot bigger than what it actually is, you know. <laughs> but um, I'll be doing wee things like that. I've got backdrops which I've bought for model railways to give the picks a bit of depth. So I'm thinking it should actually be pretty good. I was determined in this that every single bit of scenery is going to be 3D, unlike my Alien vs Predator campaign that I did in AVP Wargamer. Like that's 2D, it's board based, so it's got 3D miniatures, of course, but it's not got a lot of um, 3D scenery. But I was determined in this, everything's got to be 3D uh, and I want to create like a, a folk story version of the comic strips so that it's faithful to the source material, you know. Mm -hmm. So it should be should be interesting to see the least. So yeah, you can check out those groups on, on Facebook. But yeah, as you mentioned, if you're wanting to see them, these will all be collected on my, uh, my blog and hopefully... Uh, I'll be hopefully be able to keep up with Alan and his uh, progress with the. <laughs> I'm I'm totally obsessed with it. It's like my wife said to me yesterday. I could just see her face walking about. I, I think I was on the computer for Sunday. For, it must have been for about twelve to about quarter to nine. Had <laughs> <laughs> a couple of breaks for my dinner and all that, but because uh, I was trying to um, put the fine tunes on the the format, the bout format, you know, for um, 
how I'm going to present it and uh, I've got that done and I know it's all going to be a lot easier now because I know how every bout is going to be presented and obviously a lot of it's going to be like uh, my Alien versus Predator stuff where you're going to it's going to go through each turn and each character action and it's going to be like part kind of learning guide for the game and also part story you know mainly focusing on the story because it's going to be narrative driven but it's still going to outline, you know, when dice are rolled and you're going to see photographs of the dice, you know, to prove there, there were certain hits and stuff. And as I say, everything's getting done random. If somebody's unlucky and they die, they die. That's just the way it is. So part of me is what's intriguing me about the whole thing myself. It's like, as I'm saying, everybody thinks Johnny's going to go. But, you know, it's just through bad luck he can go, you know, quite early. He's not going to go far, you know. So um, that's part of what's getting. Who is going to be the victor, you know, who's going to be the last man standing, and it'll probably take me about the rest of the year to find that out, but um, I'm hoping to get one up, one mission played every fortnight, and then, obviously, I'll spend the rest of the fortnight getting all the shots edited and getting them to yourself and getting them put out in both forms, you know, so, but busy, busy, busy. Yeah, hopefully I'll be able to keep up and, and uh, make videos of them as well. But, I mean, really, it's you that's doing the lion's share of the work. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that I'm doing a lot there. I'm, all I'm really doing is you're doing the work with running the games, writing the games, editing the reports, providing all the photography, and all I'm really doing is stitching it together in a video, which is not... I know, but don't short, sell yourself short there, Gordon, because that when I seen that video you put together, I was like, wow, it was absolutely phenomenal. And with that music on it, it just adds another element. Yeah. So it's so good. To, it's a family member that does the music. So, so good. yeah, thanks. I'll, I'll pass that on to me. Oh, it's class. It's like, and I see the people that saying, the thing that I think is really great about the soundtrack in particular is it's got elements of the 80s to it, that kind of synth sound, like Tangerine Dream and, and uh, John Carpenter, some of the class 80 films, and it fits the killing excellently because they're the soundtracks you were hearing in your head when you were reading the strip way back in the 80s when it was out so um it's just it's so good and i, I i'm i'm walking about the house humming it oh. <laughs> <laughs> see the last uh, melody you put in after the the last participant that that we melody I, i'm walking about with that in my head humming that constantly and uh, I, I see i can see the, the way i'm looking at me like that ah, him doing that tune again you know <laughs> so oh, that's, um, that's really nice no thank you uh, oh, no it's great one of the things I was just going to ask you there about, because in the, the campaigns, in the, in the normal campaign, it asks, once the, the scenario is resolved, it asks about whether you're subdued or incapacitated. So you can be out of it. I mean, are you basically, are you dead, I suppose, is the question. Yeah, yeah. Unlike the other games when you're doing a campaign in the Astronium Dog, basically no one ever really dies unless you're wanting them to die. Yeah. Um, obviously, because you're, I can understand why you did that, because you've only got a certain amount of models. And nobody wants to lose their favourite guy right. if you're doing a, a normal standard campaign. But for me, dead is dead. And particularly with a killing, mm. it's an elimination contest. So as soon as your guy is out in an incapacitated form, he's dead. He's gone. Um, there's no way he can come back. The only way that he can potentially get out of it is if he uses like a dimension work card to leave the killing ground. But that basically means he's kind of weaseled out of that match. And eventually, all he's done is lose his card and he'll eventually need to fight again. But what is great is, it's a great, if you've got that card and you're, as luck would have it, you're going up against, you picture you're a, not a star chip character, a normal standard chip character, and you're fighting three other guys who are all star chips. 
And as soon as you see that on the map, you're thinking, oh, I'm out of here. I'm going to play my Dimension Warp card and I am out of this map. That's when you would do it. So it's great to have that potential option. And again, these are some of the things that I'm really looking forward to coming up because you might get really rubbishy characters like, say, the Gronk, for example. He's a fantastic medic. He can't fight. And in this storyline, I've put him in. At first, I wasn't going in. And I went, no, it's hilarious because Johnny's forced him to go in, hoping that he'll meet up to use his skill, right? To use his skill to help him. But obviously, he's got to play on a map with him because if you've got characters you're allied to, and say, for example, there's four characters on a map and two of them are, are allies, they will automatically team up, kill the opponents, and then they will remain as team members and progress throughout the campaign. So it basically means if one of them is randomly rolled to fight in the next bout, the other guy will be with them. They'll, re- they'll stay as a team up until the final in which everybody will need to fight it out. But for the Gronk's point of view, if the Gronk appears on the map, he will not fight. But anybody that moves close to him has the choice of spending an interact action and getting them to join them. And then they've got a personalised medic that will follow about with them, healing their wounds when they need until someone kills them and then takes a Gronk for them. So... The Gronk could easily get killed, you know, if someone just wanted to kill him. But to me, that will only really happen. He's like a med pack, a constant med pack there to help you if you've taken any wounds. So who wouldn't you want that? So it'll be interesting to see that play out. And I'm looking forward to doing some of the, oh my poor hatsies, bubbles yeah. with him. And that, you know, when he, um, as the storyline progresses, it'll be quite funny. Characters like him, characters like Silent Weird, I'm expecting a, um, a lot of comedy value for the guys. Obviously, Middenface as well, there'll be some comedy for him as well, providing he doesn't die after the first shot, you know, but um, I don't think there'll be much chance of that, he's too tough for that. Remember as well that the Gronks, that there's a misprint in his card, he's, he's cool as only one, Oh, um, aye. because I've had that FAQ'd by Andy, so that's one thing to bear in mind. And so, just picking up again on, on what you were saying there about them teaming up, you're using... How like in the, the rule book it says about who their allies are, who they can team up with. So you Yeah, yeah. I'm assuming then that your those allies, that means that some of them can group together. So you could have Johnny and Will teaming up, they're not just out for themselves. Well, not necessarily, but Yeah, yeah. If they meet each other they can team up and against the, the other participants. That's that's kind of the idea, yeah. Yeah. The main characters, there's about forty main characters of which I've designed some cards myself to take the characters up to the main stack characters up to about 40 then there's 60 kind of basic characters minor characters but of those I think it's mainly the starship characters but there might be some minor I think there's some minor characters that they say they're allies on it so Johnny's obviously got Middenface I think Durham Red Kidney Wolf the Gronk there's there's quite a few he's got there's a lot because there's all the kind of uh, mutant generals and all that kind of stuff as well so Yep, so and you've got the mutant generals as well. They've got their, their envy kind of clique as well. You've also got, obviously, the Weird Brothers, and you've got um, the Howlers, stuff like that. You know, they've all got their envy different cliques. But how I've done it is, because there's kind of northwest, northeast, all, all the four different coordinate points on the map. I've split the 100, totally rolled random. The 100 have been split into 25 characters for each location. So it's all that's all been done random, and then... Of those 25, the first bout, for example, is in the northwestern zone. So um, I've rolled three, it's three combatants because it's a quite small map. So I've only done three combatants on that. So they are basically, um, yeah, I roll randomly again for that. So the first game has come up with three guys that aren't allied to anybody. So it's just going to be a free for all. But equally, that could have come up with 
two of the guys that were allies and one of the guys that wasn't he. So they would automatically, providing they can, because then I roll randomly to see what part of the map they come on. So the allies might not come on together, but the allies automatically know, because the, the thing is, is, you're supposed to have like a kind of chip, I always say, for the game, so that you know that there's opponents in the, the area. So it's like maybe like a wee transmitter planted under them, so that you, you know that there's enemies in the area. So that's kind of how they're getting together and fighting. But um, and the, the actual flow of the story will be they progress inwardly. So you start off the northwest, northeast, whatever, and you move to the central area in the map, which is a city. And the final is probably going to be in a kind of internal complex of some sort because I've got a fantastic map for that battle system map that I'm going to use for that. Ah, oh, good battle systems is great. I'll get that stuff. Oh, as it's well. brilliant! Isn't it? Um, so I've got. Elements like you've got, first ones is like the, the volcanic badlands, and then you've got the forestry, which is a nice kind of forestry area that's in the northeast. And you've got the Neverglades to the southeast, the badlands, which is a kind of standard desert stuff, that's to the southwest. And then as you progress in, I've got like mine, kind of mountain system with a mine in it, a shanty town. I've even got a shopping mall for The Walking Dead. The map's phenomenal. It looks so good. And I'm maybe going to take it. The guy that's running this new, this mysterious figure called the Crimson King, he's taken some elements from Old Earth, shall we say, and he's put them there because he thought it'd be quite a good wee thing to, to see people fighting dying. So I might put that in, depending who's left, to, to be honest with you, because I've worked out about 50 maps. But depending on the size of the map, I might decide to put uh, more characters in it, more randomly rolled characters in it. It can, they're designed to go up for anything up to eight participants fighting at the one time, but I think I'll be keeping them initially small, three, four, maybe a maximum of six I might go. But again, it all depends on the size of the map because I don't want everybody appearing on a tiny wee map and then immediately having to fight it out. I want to be a wee bit to use tactics and stuff to give everybody a wee bit of a chance. But it'll be interesting to see how it, how it thing is out and obviously to be able to get the opportunity to put all this 3D scenery that I've got. Yeah. Finally get a chance to use it. So I've been sitting up that loft for ages. <laughs> I think from a visual point of view, that'll make it really exciting as well. That it keeps it fresh all the time. You're using different terrain all the time. So. Oh, d- different. Uh, as again, I've got swamp terrain. I've got, obviously, the deserts. Internal terrain, I've got the battle system stuff. I've got a bridge. That's going to be one. But I've got a monorail, which is raised off the ground. We have a kind of, um, that's TT combat uh, scenery, that. So it's actually got a, like a monorail car on it. And that'll be in part of a city. And then I've got a freeway, which is Sarissa Precision, I think. It's fantastic for the Dread game, that. Um, so there's going to be a battle on the freeway with vehicles and stuff. And talking about actually having vehicles in it, might actually have it that if somebody's able to get you a vehicle, they can jump in the vehicle and try and mow the other characters down. But it's like maybe in the middle of the map. But there are wee rules that I'm kind of working out, and I'll see if they work, see if they don't. But in the meantime, I'll actually be playing the real bouts. Um, like I say, start small, build up so that People are getting the best entertainment out of this, and I'm obviously getting the best entertainment out of it myself, <laughs> and utilising all the stuff that I've got through my years of wargaming, role-playing, all this stuff that I've picked up, but a lot of which is never, I've never had a chance to use, to be honest with you. So I'm looking forward to finally getting that on the gaming table. It sounds great. It sounds I'm really excited to see what you send through and, and build the videos. And um, yeah, I think it's going to be great. And I'm sure any Strontium Dog fan will be keeping a close eye on what's coming out for it. So I'm sure it'll be a great success. I suppose while we're, while we're here, I, I mentioned at the, the top there that you're a, you're a writer as well as a Strontium Dog and fan and gamer. Um, 
So I, I just was wondering if you want to say anything about any of your your projects and your Dark Ed Productions that you've got. Yeah, well, Dark Ed Productions is my Facebook page, and it is a one-to-six scale uh, photo stories, but they're basically many movies, thousands of photographs. I've got um, an alien storyline on that, which has got um, one-to-six scale dragon models and ultimate soldier guys. I shot that in about year 2000, so the fig- a lot of the figures is dated now. Story's quite good. It's still quite good. And then other guys, other ones that I've done, I've got Two Sides to Every Story, which is a World War II skirmish mission. And that's an American team of GIs going up against uh, a ragtag group of Germans. And it's in the rock pocket. It's during 1945, April, May. And it's basically when the, the Germans was a, a rabble and retreating across the Rhine. And uh, the US um, were sending out patrols to go behind enemy lines. And uh, I based it then basically because of a lot of figures for different divisions, for the, especially for the Germans. And I had to um, make it by seeing the different insignia on the uniform. It kind of makes sense. These guys working together because basically the, the Germans were all, it was all these different divisions all fighting together at that stage. The Volkstrom, you had the kind of the young and the old Germans that had been drafted into the, the army and were forced to fight. And the essence of that story is, like the title suggests, the two sides to every story. It's basically both squads have got good and bad in it. You've got, you predominantly see the, the Americans as being the heroes as they're always presented in the kind of Hollywood side. But there's some right despicable characters in the Americans and obviously you've got in the Germans you've got despicable sea oriented characters but you also have just a, a young boy and a, a, an old man just trying to survive the war and a couple of Eastern Front veterans who are disillusioned that just want to go home as well so the essence of that story you're trying to get audience sympathy for both sides and you know inevitably they're going to cra- clash and people are going to die so I've got that and then um, a couple of fancy stories set called The Realms of Darkness and they are Basically, my version of Lord of the Rings meets uh, Conan the Barbarian, Dungeons and Dragons, Game of Thrones, very adult-orientated. Again, I put a lot of special effects on these. Uh, there's blood splashes when the sword hits and uh, for the, the ones with firearms, muzzle flares when the, the firearms fire. So, um, And I smudged the joints in the figures to try and make them look as uh, real as possible because these are basically my actors. Hmm. Can't afford to get the films made, but these are my <laughs> actors. So... Um, don't just think you're going to go in and see like a guy playing with his action men here. You know, there's been a lot of thought, <laughs> a lot of thought put into these. I've had the characters fighting, sword fighting, almost like uh, your Ray Harryhausen stop motion style. All right. No quite as we frame by frame, but if you were clicking through the photos fast, you actually see them moving, see them jumping. Got them jumping, I prop them up in kebab sticks and then use a clone tool and, and uh, Photoshop to remove them so you can't see them. And it looks as if the character's floating in the air in some of these. <laughs> So I've got a couple of these still to come, but they've been kind of put on hold because of my other potential um, stuff that I'm doing. But I've got two of them fully shot. They're fully shot. They're really ambitious stories to finish off the um, this kind of part, the part of my life. But I, like I say, they, they take ages to edit. So to put the special effects on is going to take away on them. So that's Dark Kid Productions. And then I've got a, a couple of novels up on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got uh, To the Victor of Spoils, which is a combat thriller, kidnapping and a bunch of mercenaries is hired to go in and rescue this person that's been kidnapped by the guy's best friend, who's a, a charismatic billionaire. But it ends up, when they get to the place to go, they, they find out there's more to it than meets the eye. So a lot of twists and turns in that. That's a quick, hard-hitting, violent, militaristic storyline where, um, like I say, a lot of, a lot of good characters. I like a lot of characters created in that. 
And then Damnation Dawn is my apocalyptic one I, I wrote in 1997. I think I started that in the build up to the millennium when the world was going to end, and, apparently. <laughs> and um, basically, that comes from a lot of Bible, the um, Bible mythology, whatever way you want to see it. But I put a lot of research into that to get that right. Um, and that's uh, murders are getting carried out in the streets of New York, um, ancient Hebrew. Um, engraved into the child, the, um, the victims who are all children in their chests, and it's the cops trying to solve it. And uh, again, that's really, really dark storyline. Starts off as a thriller, and then it becomes something else. So that's a long book. That's really as a lot, but I think you'll if you invest the time in that. I think you'll enjoy it because it's again, there's a lot of good characters in that as well. And then upcoming projects, I've got No More Room in Hell, which is four books. Glasgow set zombie saga, and that was based on the what if, what, ha, what if I was up on the town with my mates having a drink and a, a zombie virus was released, what what would happen, that was where that premise came, so it's set in Glasgow, lot of humour in that one, that's basically like The Walking Dead, 28 Days Later, uh, meets Still Game, and uh, <laughs> Tune the Fat for the outlandish characters that's in it. Your kind of tongues in your cheek for a lot of it, but to be honest with you, it's hard hitting and extremely random. The people dying at because it was in true role play style. It was adapted for an email role play that I did with my pals, who all feature as fictionalized characters in it, and it's anybody could die anytime. So so much so, if somebody's reading that and someone dies and the reader's shocked, I was as shocked as them a lot of the time because I didn't realise that that person would go. There's some characters you feel you need in stories to drive the plot. But in that, I tried to make the plot so that everybody had a bit of character and the plot wasn't really needed. There wasn't anybody really needed to drive the plot. The plot in itself was a character. So the survivors were just carried along with whatever way it went. And there's some really unpredictable moments in that. Uh, right up until the last bit when the characters are trying to escape the coast to the to, to, to the Scottish islands. So I've got that coming, and then I've got, I'm currently editing my Realms of Darkness novel, which directly links into my one to six scale stories on Dark Kid. And that's a story of a female elf mage, and it's a basically journey of discovery, basically trying to find out her past. And it's basically like Dungeons and Dragons, Lord of the Rings, just all the good stuff that you would like for fantasy. And that's going to be a six series omnibus, basically. It's go, it's going to be each part's going to be about three hundred pages. So that's all I wrote. I wrote that in about two thousand five to two thousand eight. So I'm just splitting it into volumes now. I'm currently on volume three of that. So I'm fitting that in as well as doing my killing tournament and everything else. You know, so <laughs> I don't know how you get busy, the time. Busy, busy, busy. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. I mean, I get I get paid off. I'm not up the new, so I get paid off. Um, couple of years back so um we used the time to bring up my Wayne but now that she's back in nursery I'm trying to get as much in done as possible you know so um I'm basically working non-stop working at the, at the weekends and stuff but I enjoy doing it so don't really see it as work you know so um yeah it's uh, enjoyable so I'm doing a lot at night and stuff and uh, but I've had to make up a schedule to say right I want to need to do that need to get this need to get that obviously I'm about four or five years behind but um <laughs> It's just the problem is, is I go through one project, I finish one, then I go into another, and in between that, I'll maybe think of something else. Like five years ago, I didn't have the killing planned, but that's now became quite prominent in my mind. So it's going to be my creative gaming 
concentrate what I'm going to be concentrating on for that side of my life. But in some ways, the pandemic has helped that immensely because my um, writing, my creative stuff, I've been focusing on that and so much so. Like, my no more room in hell. That's all totally ready to go and I never expected all that ready to go and I'm just waiting for my covers to get finished for that and then they'll be going up four parts going up all at one time so um, people can pick them up in Amazon and if they, they, they could pick them up one at a time or if they wanted just to invest in it all great because the full story's there going to be there at one time because there's nothing worse I feel that when you see one volume come out it's something and you go oh that's fantastic when's the next one going to come out and a true example of that is Game of Thrones Mm-hmm. Uh, which I've never personally read any Game of Thrones, although I love the TV show, but you never know when George R.R. R. Martin's going to do another volume of that, and a lot of the fans are cracking up. I don't put anything out unless the entire story's done. So my volumes will all be coming quite close together. Mm. So all my, my, my No More Room in Hell, that's all done, it's all ready to go, and that's why I want to put them out all at one go. When I'm ready to do Saga Self... The, the Realms of Darkness one, they'll be going up very close to one another. But I want to get them all finished and in the you know in a presentable form, so that they can basically go up one after another. So, because I've hated that before in my past, you know. And then I think a lot of the time you you finish a book and then you've got to wait a year, two years for the next part to come out, and you've basically forgot mm. a lot. You know, you've got to go and read the, the book that you got before <laughs> again. So in these, I've tried to actually do if somebody picked up volume four of the six of the realms of darkness i've done a truncated form at the start that they would be able to know what's happened in the storyline up until that point and so the, obviously they're better to go back and read the other volumes but i've tried to do it that way so that it's a uh, friendly new readers mm-hmm. you know coming in midway through you know but really busy but as i say it's enjoying doing it and i feel driven to it that's why I, I, I do so much i think you know i just it's what i think i'm supposed to do yeah. Feel just that's it. Instinctual for me to do it. I know that feeling. Aye. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, I've got a wife that puts up with her. <laughs> that's the thing, <laughs> she's, uh, she's always just lets me go on with my creative stuff, and that's fantastic, you know. Great stuff. So, yeah, I'll drop some links under the podcast wherever you happen to be listening to this. Um, and as I say, keep an eye out on the 2000D groups. I'm also going to try and post this stuff up in the 2000D forum for anyone that's just there. And yeah, watch out for watch out for it wherever wherever you can find it. So I, th- I suppose all it remains to say is thanks for coming on, Alan, and talking about it. And I'm sure everybody's as excited as I am about seeing how the killing progresses. Ah, uh, you're very you're very welcome. Um, it's great to be able to just go on and just talk about um stuff that interests me. So um yeah, any time. Yeah, we'll do do updates if you want to do updates. Yeah, we'll do we'll do some more podcasts in the future. I think we'll try and maybe talk about some of the like the, the actual gameplay as well, about some of the rules and the you know, some of maybe some of the abilities of the characters and the best way to play the characters. I think actually probably one of the things we could do is if it's got characters in your bouts that are fe- now like the ones that Warlord have yeah. created. Talk about some of those specifically because I I've pretty much broken down every single character, I think, and analysed them. I think I've still got the mutant generals to do, I think, the, the kind of, the, and the crealers, but other than that, I think I've, I've got everything that was in the book anyway. Uh, I think the crealers is going to be an interesting uh, take, because obviously in the, the, the storyline, there's a team of five crealers that work for the, 
the Crimson King and things is kind of geared towards them a wee bit and one of them's got the, the Nelson Creelman figure even though it isn't him he's got I think he's got a time bomb a preset time bomb so he's going to have that as part of his gear automatically so I'll be interested to see how that mechanic works into the scenario because I think you can either use it to evacuate the map if you wish or you can use it like a time bomb so I'll be interested to see how that plays out so um, I, I'll do that I'll try and concentrate on some of the actual official characters and see how they can be um, slotted into people's own games you know what tactics to use which will help you out to achieve your mission objective you know Yep, well, plenty more on the way anyway, uh, if you're a Strontium Dog fan. So, yeah, thanks again for coming on, Alan. And, yeah, until next time, keep on living and the life of dying. <laughs>